This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, The Media Matters Minute, The David Pakman Show, A Best of the Left Activism Update, The Rachel Maddow Show, The Majority Report, The Young Turks, The Progressive, and Tom Hartman. And a note for our more sensitive listeners, if not properly inoculated, some listeners may begin to show signs of sympathy for Mitt Romney. Well, uh, it wasn't elegantly stated, let me put it that way. That was somebody admitting he didn't put it elegantly when he said at a private fundraiser that 47% of Americans were bitter moochers. (laughs) Who was it? That would have been Mitt Romney. Yes, indeed, Mitt Romney. Very well done. It's hard to put your foot in your mouth elegantly, really. It really is hard to do that. So the Romney campaign has been in damage control mode ever since the video of his remarks at a fundraiser came to light this week. As you heard, Romney admitted that he could have disparaged 47% of Americans more elegantly. (laughs) How exactly would you do that? With a British accent? I say, terrible pity about the riffraff, eh? What, what? These private gatherings are always a problem. Four years ago, it was Barack Obama with the voters clinging to their guns and religion. Now it's Romney with the 47%. We should just cancel all the debates and have a gigantic fundraiser where everyone's invited. Then we can hear what these guys think. That's true. (laughs) This is the later development. It was was revealed uh, that there's two minutes missing from the videotape. Did you hear this? Mm. That the video's in two parts, and there's two minutes missing in between them. And uh, a lot of Romney's defenders... the internet were like, it's not complete. So somehow this, these two minutes will exonerate him. Uh, and the question is, well, how? How could these two minutes make it all seem better? Well, uh, we found, we couldn't find the video, but we did get a transcript of, of what he said in those two minutes that exonerates him. Uh, here's Carl with a reenactment. And now I will continue with my impression of a jackass. <laughs> I can't keep up with the percentages either because it's okay. So I pay taxes, so I don't know if I'm in if I'm in the 53 percent, but I'm not part of the one percent. No, no. So I'm the 52 percent, I guess. I just you know. And, and then I don't know. If but, I knew that this whole politics thing was going to involve math, I wouldn't have gotten into it. You know. <laughs> what I count on is the 13 percent of Romney's hair that is white. I love that. Mm. Don't you love that? Just the little. It's 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 so handsome. Now, what's interesting is, is one of the criticisms of Romney is that all during his campaign for president, which I think has lasted seven years, we've never seen the authentic Romney. Now, they always say he's not authentic, he's too stiff, he's not real. Now we've seen the authentic Romney. What do you think? He did a more than 13% white, I'd say that. This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Lisa Reed. Following Mother Jones' release of secret video footage of GOP presidential nominee Romney claiming that 47% of Americans are dependent upon government, conservative media figures continue to defend and even praise Romney's comments. Here's what Brian Kilmeade had to say about Romney's comments on a recent edition of Fox News' Fox and Friends. I would love for that to be a message for any candidate on the stump. Kilmeade wasn't alone in praising Romney for his remarks disparaging 47% of Americans. Here's Sean Hannity on The Sean Hannity Show. And I bet that this is a tipping point. This tape 
frankly, for Romney, in the end, will be seen as a godsend. Well, Here's Rush Limbaugh claiming that Romney's comments will give him a boost. Now, I'm telling you, my friends, this is a golden opportunity. It's an opportunity for Romney and the entire conservative establishment. All right, let's fact check, Lewis, what Mitt Romney actually said. Let's see who doesn't pay income tax. First of all, people who don't pay income taxes, why don't they pay income taxes? They are on Social Security. They're disabled. It's the very poor, working families with children, elderly. I guess those are the people Mitt Romney doesn't care about. They're lazy. You shouldn't have gotten into that car accident that took your legs. You shouldn't have been born with autism. You're just a victim. Take responsibility. So let's put up the tax breakdown here, okay? Let's take a look at this image. The, there is no fair accounting under which 47% of Americans take no personal uh, 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 responsibility or care for their lives. Here's what we have here. 53.6% uh, of households pay federal income tax, okay? That's right there. Presumably, Romney's okay with these folks under, under his, uh, uh, his system. 28.3% of households pay no federal income tax, but they do pay the payroll taxes. In other words, when you get a paycheck, you pay the Social Security tax on your income. You pay the Medicare tax on your income. So, in other words, they don't really need Mitt Romney to, to convince them to take personal responsibility because they're working and they have jobs, and they're paying payroll taxes. So that right there gets us about uh, uh, about 82% right there. Okay, so now we've only got 28% left. Let's break those down further. 10.3% are elderly. They're retired and elderly. They, they aren't taxed on Social Security benefits. They've been paying into the system for a long time because they worked. He can't be talking about them, right? Maybe he is. Well, so then we've eliminated 10.3%. I know what Paul Ryan would say about them. I, I, I know also. So then we've got what? We have 6.9%, which are non-elderly, and they make less than 20000 a year, so they really aren't paying payroll taxes. They're really not paying income taxes. These are the super poor households that pay neither of these. Does Mitt Romney think that they are doing something wrong? Is that who Mitt Romney's talking about? In any case, 6.9% for good reason that they're not paying these taxes versus 47% who just don't take personal responsibility? Mitt Romney's living in a fantasy world. But the way it's framed at the same time, the way it's framed by, by the conservative media is that, and by Mitt, is that they're not paying rent either, they're not paying for their food, they're not paying for their cell phones. Right. They're, they're, they make it seem as if these people are not paying for anything. Of course. Of yeah. course they will. And what's amazing is that when Mitt Romney talks about that 47%, when he talks about those 150 million Americans he says are dependent on the government, he's really targeting red states. He's really targeting Republicans. He's targeting right-wingers. There's 10 red states who don't pay taxes, okay? The eight of those top 10 states in terms of non-taxpayers are states that are going to go for Mitt Romney. Let's put that map up, Natan. As we can see here, if you look at these states, look at that, Lewis. Look at these non... If we look at non-payers by state, the people that fit in to that very small amount, not 47%, who don't pay taxes that Mitt Romney's talking about, eight of the top ten states are red states. They're clearly... Now, okay, 
Florida is, is a red state here. It's a toss-up right now. Certainly Mitt Romney needs that one, so he would want you to believe that it's a red state, but really it is a toss-up. This is incredible. It's the Republican voters who in great part are blindly supporting Romney that he's actually insulting by saying they are the moochers. Incredible, Lewis. Yeah, which is why this, uh, this video is, is so important. Hey, isn't Mitt Romney himself in that 47% who barely pay income taxes? Isn't he talking about himself? Pretty much. Haven't we looked at the... Under, under his plan, I feel like uh, the uh, Saturday Night Live skit with Al Gore, under my plan, under his plan and Paul Ryan's plan, Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan would be in the list of those who, who are ba barely paying any income taxes. I mean, 0.82% is what Mitt Romney would pay under the Ryan tax plan. Let me take you down, cause I'm going to Okay, what, what do you think is the best thing, the thing about the show that is best and most appealing to, to somebody who listens or watches? Because we cover everything and we do it well. <laughs> Why do you think people watch the show? I think that it's a completely different angle. I don't think it's about being expansive or up-to-date. I think it's 99% of media that's out there is giving one story, it's giving a particular point of view, and it's also not covering certain stories. So I don't know that it's about being up-to-date or expansive. I think it's, it's a well, non... Well, that's what I said. We cover everything. Well, we don't cover everything, Lewis. How could we cover everything? We cover 8 to 10 stories. Everything important, pretty much. Well, if that doesn't make you curious... I don't know what will. Check out The David Pakman Show at davidpakman.com. Welcome to the Best of the Left Activism Update. My name is Lauren, and I'm the activism czar at bestoftheleft.com. A few months ago, we introduced Wolfpack, the brainchild of the Young Turks host and founder, Cenk Uygur. As you may recall, Wolfpack aims to save our democratic process by stopping corporate personhood. With the passage of Citizens United making it easier for corporations to control our governmental policies by buying our representatives, Wolfpack addresses how we can best put an end to this undemocratic process by bypassing the corporate-owned Congress and Supreme Court. This involves us, actual citizens, lobbying for a 28th constitutional amendment saying that corporations are not people and therefore do not have the right to buy our elections. Well now Wolfpack needs our help again. If you are willing to be the point person in your state, then Wolfpack is looking for you. Wolfpack will be choosing one person in each state to step up and help research which of their state representatives are the most supportive of campaign finance reform and then begin a conversation with those representatives. And get this, you will be reporting directly to Jank himself via a conference call with other leaders around the country on what you have found in your state. You will not need to convince anyone to support a constitutional convention immediately. The first step will be to gauge how much support we have in each state and build alliances of representatives there. Wolfpack will give you all the info you need, so please email Wolfpack's Michael Mineta at mike at wolf-pack.com and tell him you want to be the person representing your state. You can also go to wolf-pack.com to learn more about this exciting new movement. So let's help Wolfpack make a difference for our country. As the anthropologist Margaret Mead once famously said, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it's the only thing that ever has. This has been a Best of the Left activism update. For more information about the links in this segment, please consult the show notes at bestoftheleft.com. Likewise, if you yourself have an activist call to action you want featured on the show, 
please email me directly at lauren at bestoftheleft.com. Here at Best of the Left, supporting the good works of others is our entire reason for existence. Since the beginning of 2006, I've been making this show to highlight what I consider to be some of the best of the truly liberal media. Now I'm working on several ways to promote the best progressive activism around. Ruminate for a moment on whether you enjoy this show or consider its goals to be worthwhile, and if you do, please consider supporting this work by becoming a member for as little as $5 a month or even $55 a year at the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. It's the donations of members that allow the show to continue and continue to improve. Thanks so much for your support. So it keeps getting worse, uh, not better, at least in the press. At the Hill today, an unnamed Republican strategist says Team Romney has, quote, the stench of a losing campaign. The Hill also reporting today on Republicans saying that stench of that losing campaign may cost the Republicans multiple Senate seats as well. In Politico today, a senior Republican described as deeply involved in the campaign this year says, quote, as a candidate, Mitt Romney is just not going to improve. Politico quoting a Romney bundler saying this, quote, we're just imploding. Political quoting a McCain-Palin staffer from 08, named, a man named Greg Strimple, saying, the problem is the campaign is now in a spiral and no one knows how to pull out. On the Wall Street Journal editorial page today, Reagan speechwriter Peggy Noonan says, it's time to admit the Romney campaign is an incompetent one. It's time for an intervention. George W. Bush ad guru Republican Mark McKinnon writes the Daily Beast, quote, How can anyone support a candidate with this kind of vision of the country? I honestly don't know what Romney can do to win support from the voters he needs to gain a majority. The New York Times saying today that Mitt Romney staffers now can no longer hide their annoyance, describing a Romney aide cursing loudly at a press event in California. The Times says Mr. Romney's grim-faced aides are wondering in low-volume, out-of-the-way conversations whether victory is still possible. One person described as a flustered advisor telling the Times today, quote, that the campaign was turning into a vulgar, unprintable uh, phrase, which, a vulgar and unprintable, I'm guessing that either starts with the word cluster or with the word pig, but I'm not going to guess which one. Uh, Huffington Post quoting a Republican consultant with extensive contacts in the Romney campaign, basically summing it all up today by saying this, quote, there is a feeling of almost that this thing is in free fall. Free fall. Free fall usually ends with a thump. It is not getting better for these guys, not yet. Those are all quotes from Republicans. Another sign that um, the Romneys are really, really, really having a tough go of it. I mentioned at the top of the show, here is, um, well, I don't know what to say about this. Here is Ann Romney being interviewed, I believe, on, uh, what, what local station was it? I'm not even sure. 
Okay, she was uh, interviewed on a local station somewhere. It was in Iowa. In I don't Iowa, know the name of the station, but in Iowa. And understand what's happening now. You've got guys like Tommy Thompson, like I mentioned earlier, is now blaming Romney. You've got uh, uh, you've got Tim Pawlenty. Romney's one of his co-chairs, basically saying like, you know, I should I take this job or should I wait six weeks and take? You know, f f Romney. I'm going to just take this job because I'm not going to. What's the value in me? being associated with this losing campaign. Paul Ryan, it seems like, I think he's gone underground, um, probably somewhere going like, wh why in the world uh, am I the only one going, uh, going out and campaigning? Mitt Romney seems to have already gone on vacation. Um, so uh, they're having a tough time of it. But here's Ann Romney expressing, or at least subtextually, just how much of a tough time they're having. It's one thing to be criticized by the other side, but recently they're been criticized. This is the interviewer, and she's talking about you getting criticized by Republicans now. Criticism from fellow Republicans, Peggy Noonan saying time for an intervention, Bill Kristol saying things like arrogant and stupid. I mean, what do you say to your fellow Republicans who are... Stop it. <laughs> this is hard. You want to try it? Get in the ring. This is hard. And, you know, it's, it's an important thing that we're doing right now, and it's an important election. And it is time for all Americans to realize how significant this election is and how lucky we are to have someone with misqualifications and experience and know-how to be able to have the opportunity to run this country. You people do not know how lucky you are. Not the Republicans... Not the poor people, not the 40, all you bloodsuckers, parasites. You don't really realize the blessing that God has given you, the opportunity to vote for Mitt Romney. I love this part where she's saying basically to the other people, like, you know, you, stop, stop, play, play from the, play, play where she says, stop it. You don't like it. Jump in the ring. It's one thing to be criticized by the other side, but recently there have been criticism from fellow Republicans, Peggy Noonan saying time for an intervention, Bill Kristol saying things like arrogant and stupid. I mean, what do you say to your fellow Republicans who are... Stop it. <laughs> this is hard. You want to try it? Get in the ring. Get in the ring! Let's uh, hear it! Let's get ready to rumble! This is where we, that, she did a great impersonation of that. That's where the, the pounding music come in. So there it is. Uh, the Romneys are having a tough go of it. I, 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 I gotta admit, I feel some sympathy for them because they're really gonna go down as one of the greatest laughing stocks, I think, in the history of presidential uh, uh, elections. And, um, you know, I guess I don't feel that badly for them. I mean, I think they're gonna be fine. So, yeah, scratch that. <laughs> They're just really, really bad at this. I can feel it in my bones. Give me sympathy. After all of this is gone. 
As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, just one of the major companies under constant boycott by one liberal cause or another, from the banner posted at bestoftheleft.com. Better yet, click through just once and bookmark that link to use every time you shop. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal. It will cost you nothing extra, but 7 to 8% of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whatever you consider that to be. Stay away from the hugs All the chances we took Mitt Romney has been sticking by his gun, saying, hey, listen, I said that thing about the 47%. You, okay, you got me. You saw it on a tape. I was at a fundraiser in Boca Raton, and I said 47% of the country isn't going to vote for me, and I don't care about them. They're dependent on the government. They feel like they're victims, and they're basically leeching off of us, right? And the very next day, uh, actually when the tape leaked, it was that day, that night, at 10.15 Eastern, he came out and stuck to his guns and said this. It's a message which I'm going to carry and continue to carry, which is, look, the the president's approach is attractive to people who aren't not paying taxes because, frankly, my discussion about lowering taxes isn't as attractive to them, and therefore I'm not likely to draw them into my campaign. All right, good for Mitt Romney. Hey, a rare time that he sticks by what he says. He's not flip-flopping, doubling down. In fact, he went on Neil Cavuto's program the very next day and tripled down. I'm talking about a perspective of of individuals who I'm not likely to get to support me. Uh, I recognize that that those people who are not paying income tax are are going to say, gosh, this this, uh, provision that Mitt keeps talking about, lowering income taxes, that's not going to be real attracted to them. And and those that are dependent upon government and those that think government's job is to redistribute, I'm I'm not going to get them. All right, well, you look at that. Mitt Romney's singing the principle. Now, that was day two. Here comes day three. And what happened? Oops. This is a campaign about the 100%. My campaign is about the 100% in America, and I'm concerned about them. I have a record. I've demonstrated my capacity to help the 100%. Oh, come on, man. <laughs> that is unbelievable. Panic has set in. They're like, yeah, that 47% is not pulling well. It's not doing well. Everybody's running away from us. The house is on fire. Did I say 47 100%. of Americans. Remember how he said, I'm not that concerned about them? You just saw him say there on Univision, I am totally concerned about that. I don't know what I said. I don't know what I was thinking before. But I'll tell you what, me equals concern. It's not the only issue he's flip-flopping on. Remember, Obamacare, it was despicable, right? Watch. Obamacare was bad policy yesterday. It's bad policy today. Obamacare was bad law yesterday. It's bad law today. If there's one thing Romney knows, Obamacare's bad law. Except when he said this yesterday. I have experience in health care reform. Now and then the president says I'm the grandfather of Obamacare. I don't think he meant that as a compliment, but I'll take it. (laughs) I'll take it. I'm Obamacare. I'm the guy who created it. This guy is unreal. Have you ever seen a politician this greasy? How does anybody shake his hand? Must slip right off. We're not done yet. Now we go to anti-immigration. Remember Romney during the primaries? Watch. 
And if people are not able to have a card and have that through an e-verify system determine that they are here illegally, then they're going to find they can't get work here. And if people don't get work here, they're going to self-deport where they to a place where they can get work. This idea of self-deportation came about from radical right-wingers who said, let's make life in this country so miserable for immigrants that they voluntarily leave. So it's basically the get, get policy, right? People like Chris Kobach, the crazy Secretary of State of Kansas, vehemently anti-immigration, came up with that. Now, when asked to explain this during Univision, here comes all of a sudden new liberal Mitt Romney. So are you going to deport them or not? I'm not that clear. I, I think... I have some friends, apparently. <laughs> I'm not in favor of, of a deportation, mass deportation effort, rounding up 12 million people. I believe people make their own choices as to whether they want to go home, and that's what I mean by self-deportation. Yeah, by self-deportation, I mean, you, you, I love Latinos and immigrants. I mean, they get to make their own choices. If you want, stay. If you want, leave. That's all. I'm, I'm on your side. Latinos! Remember when I hated you during the primaries? I didn't mean that, man. I meant I love you, dog. <laughs> and I got, his laugh is awesome every time. Every time he's uh, caught in an awkward situation. <laughs> now, how about gay marriage? I mean, this is a bedrock principle of Mitt Romney. He's not going to flip on that, right? I mean, remember during the prime. I believe we should have a federal amendment of the Constitution that defines marriage as a relationship between a man and a woman. Because I believe the ideal place to raise a child is in a home with a mom and a dad. Booyah! What now, huh? He's not going to back away from... I think you get what's going on here. They asked him, hey, what if one of your kids was gay? And he said, well, they're all married, so it's not likely. How about your grandkids? And this happened. And I, I love my children, and I love my grandchildren. And, uh, and I would, of course, want them to be happy. My, my view is this, that, that individuals... Uh, should be able to uh, pursue a relationship of love and respect and raise a family as they would choose. Yeah, it's all, all of a sudden it's all about choice with Mitt Romney. You want to stay in the country if you're an illegal immigrant? Come on in, it's okay. Oh, you want to get married or have a domestic partnership if you're gay? Well, of course you can. You think I meant that stuff in the primaries? No, I just, I just sketched. And all of a sudden, I'm new liberal Mitt Romney. How do you like me now? Well... I don't like you just as much as I didn't like you before. In fact, I dislike you a little bit more. Because at least when you were a conservative douchebag, I knew where you stood. Does anyone really believe that this man has a single principle? If you're a conservative, do you really believe that? And if you're a liberal or independent, you already know. This is a world-breaking, Hall of Fame, flip-flopping, greasy, unctuous, unbearable, slimy politician. That's exactly what Mitt Romney is, and those tapes prove it perfectly. It was exactly a month ago today that Congressman Todd Aiken of Missouri brought the phrase legitimate rape into this year's political discourse. If it's a legitimate rape, uh, the female body has ways to try to shut that whole thing down. 
And Todd Aiken said that on local TV last month. He had been ahead of Claire McCaskill in Missouri's U.S. Senate race for months. Todd Aiken was heavily favored in that race. After those comments and the latest polling, he is down by six. In the days following the debut of Mr. Aiken's fake science theory about rape and pregnancy, Republicans were tripping all over each other in a rush to condemn him or call on him to drop out of the race. And while you could see why nobody would want to be associated with what Todd Aiken said, here is an important thing about everybody calling on him to get out of the race and condemning him on the Republican side. Absolutely zero of these national Republican candidates calling on him to get out of the race were going to be on the same ballot with Todd Aiken this year. Todd Aiken is running a statewide race in Missouri, but that means he's on the ballot in Missouri and nowhere else in the country. So while it makes sense for Republicans, even in places like Massachusetts and Wisconsin and North Dakota, it makes sense for them to be saying, please don't think of me when you think of that Todd Aiken guy. Republicans in those other states are never going to share the ballot with Todd Aiken this fall. Right? Re Republicans' Todd Aiken problem is not that bad. He is only on the ballot in Missouri. But now Republicans have a Mitt Romney problem, and a Mitt Romney problem is national. His problem holds true for every Republican candidate in every race across the country in November, from dog catcher up to senator. Every Republican who's running for office shares a ballot and shares an R next to their name with Mitt Romney this year. And Mitt Romney, as you know, has spent the last couple of days trying to find a more elegant way to call 47% of the country, the working poor and young people and the elderly in this country, trying to find a more elegant way to call them irresponsible and entitled. More elegant than the way that he said it in his secretly recorded comments to a room full of $50,000 a plate donors when he said that his campaign was not even trying to connect with the 47% of Americans who do not pay income taxes and who he therefore sees as dependent and victims and not responsible citizens. And you can see the political effect of the Mitt Romney problem already, even 47 days from the election. As Mr. Romney has been dropping in the polls, so have been Republican Senate candidates. Just this month, just during the calendar month of September, the folks at Real Clear Politics have moved three races further out of Republican reach. The Wisconsin Senate race, which they had considered a Republican-leaning race, is now considered a toss-up between Tommy Thompson and Tammy Baldwin. Both Ohio and Michigan, which previously had been rated by Real Clear, Real Clear Politics as toss-ups, those have both been moved. Both Ohio and Michigan have been moved into the Leans Democratic column. After mostly running neck and neck for months, polling out of Virginia this week shows Democrat Tim Kaine seven points ahead of George Allen. After months of polling mostly behind Republican Senator Scott Brown in Massachusetts, Elizabeth Warren is up by five points in the latest poll out there this week. It is the fourth straight poll showing her in the lead. And in Connecticut, after briefly ceding the polls to Republican Linda McMahon, Democrat Chris Murphy is back in the lead in Connecticut polling out this week as well. If it was worth it for Republicans, particularly Republicans running for office this year, to flee from Todd Aiken, with whom they are not sharing a ballot, it is definitely worth it for these same Republicans to apparently flee from Mitt Romney. Republican strategist warning in the Hill newspaper today that the Mitt Romney's fumbling campaign could cost Republicans in a number of down-ballot races. One strategist working on Senate races saying, quote, if Romney doesn't improve, that could cost us our chance of picking up the Senate for sure. Honestly, I don't know who's driving the train, but they need to get their message focused.
And we are now seeing some of those candidates who stand to maybe lose an otherwise close race, thanks to Mitt Romney calling half the country a bunch of lazy moocher bums. We are seeing those Senate candidates flee from Mr. Romney and his rhetoric, at least on this issue. Republican Senator Scott Brown in Massachusetts saying that Mr. Romney's vision of 47% of Americans as dependent and entitled is, quote, not the way I view the world. Senator Dean Heller running for re-election in a tough race in Nevada, likewise saying he does not view the world the same way Mitt Romney does. Linda McMahon, the wrestling mogul who is running for Senate in Connecticut, she says she disagrees with Mr. Romney. Mark Meadows, who is running for Congress as a Republican in North Carolina, says that he is different from Mitt Romney. Ovid LaMontagne, who's running as a Republican for governor of New Hampshire, promising not to be a partisan governor in the style, is promising not to be a partisan governor in the style of Mr. Romney and his 47% speech. But here's, here's maybe the, the biggest panic button that there is on the Republican side right now. It's from the Huffington Post today. A Republican operative working on congressional races, quote, warned that in key swing states, Mitt Romney's support in internal polling is well below that of Republican candidates in districts where the presidential nominee needs to get big support to have a chance at winning. This is the quote from the Republican operative. He is just well under all of our other guys, this Republican said. I'm very concerned. Think about what that means for a second. What they're talking about here is key districts in key swing states, ones where Mitt Romney really needs to win big in order to win that, win that swing state. And Mr. Romney is underperforming the other Republicans who are going to be on the ballot in those areas. These are the places where Mr. Romney needs to do great. And in the internal Republican polling in those places, he is doing awful. And that speaks very poorly of his chances of carrying those swing states. But more ominously for the Republican Party, it means that the lower level candidates who are running for Congress in those districts are now having their own races endangered by virtue of the fact that they share a ballot with a man named Mitt Romney. Safe Republican districts are getting less safe because Mitt Romney is going to be on the ballot in those races too. How are the Republicans going to solve this problem? How are they going to solve this problem? The answer to that question is the answer to who comes out ahead in this year's elections and how they get there. Chilling is the only word I can find to describe Mitt Romney's policy prescriptions that he delivered in his 60 Minutes interview with Scott Pelley. Romney came out in favor of block-granting Medicaid, housing vouchers, and even food stamps. There'd no longer be a federal guarantee of specific benefits for the poor, the hungry, and the disabled. He'd leave it all up to the states. The problem with that is that many states will erect ridiculously high hurdles for the poor and the hungry and the disabled to clear before they can get these crucial benefits. And states which are strapped for revenue will have an almost irresistible temptation to divert some of this money to cover their budget deficits. Second, he said he was in favor of means testing for Social Security and for Medicare, which will undercut the universal support for these programs. And on Medicare itself, he backed the Paul Ryan approach of giving people who are 55 or younger vouchers to buy their insurance on the private market. 
That'll be a boon to the private insurance companies, but it'll force people to pay an estimated $6,000 more than what they otherwise would be paying under the existing Medicare system. And lastly, he said he'd repeal Obamacare, but he was unable to answer the most basic question about how the 50 million uninsured people would get care if he were president. This, then, was Romney's takeaway message. Elect me, and you can kiss the safety net goodbye. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. The mission of this show is to aggregate and amplify the best voices of the truly liberal media, and now you can play a critical role in helping fulfill that mission. I pick out the best clips I hear to share with you, and now you can do just the same thing extremely easily. Now available at bestoftheleft.com, each clip I play is made available individually with simple buttons that allow you to share your favorites on your networks through Facebook, Twitter, by email, and beyond. By myself, I can amplify this content to thousands of people, but collectively, we have the potential to reach millions. No kidding. Become your own media activist by taking one minute to share your favorite content a couple of days each week, help more people plug into the truly liberal media, and be an integral part of this extremely virtuous cycle. Thanks so much for your help. One of the clips from Mitt Romney that got significantly less attention than it should have, in my estimation. Although, look, the problem with Mitt Romney is not one tape. The problem is that everything on this tape is consistent with what we know about Mitt Romney. The issue is not that he's rich. And we've said this on this program many times before. The most revealing comment of Mitt Romney's on the campaign trail, maybe prior to the release of this tape, was the one where he stood in front of a crowd and he said, you folks, you kids, you need to take a risk. Don't be afraid to take a risk. Go out there, borrow $20,000 from your parents. Take that risk. Become an entrepreneur without any notion that not only do the vast majority of Americans are they not able to borrow twenty thousand dollars from anybody and I think there was a study that showed that fifty percent of Americans couldn't even raise three to five thousand dollars in the event of emergency Mitt Romney has no idea what he has been given what he was given the day that he was born. No concept of this whatsoever. And I think that is the genuine truth. I don't think this is about him kissing up to the, uh, the Neanderthals on the right. I think he is genuinely oblivious of this. And I think, frankly, the vast majority of people sitting in that room when he was uh, looking for donors are genuinely oblivious of this. And in fact, I would say not just this is not just something that Republicans are oblivious of, or two. I would say that guys like Erskine Bowles, supposedly a Democrat, or is a Democrat, however you want to put it, however cynical you want to be about this, also is not aware of this. I would say the vast majority of the establishment media, left, center, right, 
are not terribly sensitive to this and to, to some degree or another. Which is why we see that the flip talk about the idea of raising the Social Security age or cutting back on benefits or doing the same for Medicare. Here is Mitt Romney. This is clip number nine. Adding at one point, a very brief clip. But it's him looking at a room full of millionaire donors and basically saying to them, well, that I got, I, I got, I, I'm just like anybody else. I got no benefits. This is how he can make this statement about the 47% that he perceives aren't paying income tax, despite the fact that he probably hasn't in certain instances, too. But here's how he justifies it in his mind. By the way, both, both my dad and Ann's dad did quite well in their lives. Uh, but when they came to the end of their lives and, and passed along the inheritances to Ann and to me, we both decided to give it all away. So I have inherited nothing. Everything that Ann and I have, we, have, we earned the uh, old-fashioned way. I inherited nothing. I inherited nothing. Both our parents did quite well. When they gave us the money, we gave it away. I inherited nothing. The idea that knowing you're going to get a huge inheritance at one point in your life is not a benefit is psychopathic. The chances that you can take in your life, the risks that you can take because you know that you're going to inherit millions of dollars, even if it, when it comes to that time you didn't need it, are immeasurable. The opportunities, the things you are exposed to because your dad had millions of dollars, because your dad was the governor, because your dad was the chairman of a major American car corporation, is incalculable. The idea that no, I inherited nothing when I went to that elite private school. When I had $100,000 worth of stocks to go to graduate school. I inherited nothing when I showed up at that admissions office and they were just like, bam. <laughs> of course you're in. Of course you're in. I inherited nothing, according to Mitt Romney. I earned it the old-fashioned way by deluding myself as to my level of privilege and the advantages I had at the beginning. I inherited nothing, Mitt Romney not just says, but genuinely believes. Daddy, he was a wandering man I hardly knew his face Mama, she cried for him at night he never stayed in one place Cause the north wind flows through my veins Like my dad bears a dream in my veins In the morning I'll have to leave again That's how it is when you inherit the wind
It's a big idea election. And that was the the meme that was being thrown out last night by by the uh, the interviewers um, on 60 Minutes, Steve Croft and whoever the other guy was. Uh, in any case, they, they you know, in fact, they were quoting David McCullough. Now, I've never been fond of David McCullough as a historian. I uh, ever since he wrote the, the book on John Adams and had himself photographed with George Herbert Walker Bush. And it was just so obvious that that book came out just in time for the W presidency, because John Adams was the only other president to have his son run for president and win, John Quincy Adams. And, you know, it just and then and then in the book, I mean, I read the book and in the book, the big issue of the John Adams presidency was the Alien Sedition Acts was the fact that he threw in jail, you know, 18 or 20 a newspaper publisher shut down newspapers. I mean, he basically, in uh, 1798, turned the United States into a dictatorship. And, in fact, Thomas Jefferson, who was his vice president at the time, left town the day that John Adams signed that law. And, and Jefferson fought him on that and, and, and then ran against him in the election of 1800 and beat him. And, you know, this, this horrible facet of the John Adams presidency that, that, that it has been a blot, a stain on the American presidency ever since is dealt with in just a very, very small number of pages in this great, great big book about, you know, this great big wondrous book about how wonderful John Adams was. And, yeah, there were a lot of wonderful things about John Adams, but that was not one of them, and, and it didn't get you. So I, I saw the Bush book as a whitewash. But anyhow, so the question that they were asking was they said, David McCullough, you know, said, and, and Romney even quoted his John Adams book. All the Republicans love to read it. Um, David McCullough, the famous historian, said that uh, the, the really important presidents, or the really famous presidents, or the well-known presidents are the ones who had big ideas. What's your big idea? Right? There's a big idea election. And if it is, then Mitt Romney should lose. Here he was on 60 Minutes last night talking about his big idea and what it is. The kind of freedom that has brought people here from all over the world. I want people to come here legally, to want to be here. I want the best and brightest to say America is the place of opportunity because of the freedom there to pursue your dreams. So my message is restore the kind of freedom that allows America to lead the world. Right. Freedom. That's it. Freedom. You know, at least you can easily fit it on a bumper sticker. You see, Mitt Romney's so-called big idea is the same big idea that's been pushed by every Republican since Reagan. This belief has been the underlying basis for everything I've tried to do these past eight years. The vision of a society where men and women are free, free to choose, but where government is not as free to override their decisions. Well, again, Gwen, I do want to thank you and the commission. This is uh, such an honor for me, and we have to fight for our freedoms also, economic and our national security freedoms. It was Ronald Reagan who said that freedom is always just one generation away from extinction. Freedom, 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 freedom. You know, after hearing it this much, the word starts to lose its meaning. What exactly do these Republicans mean when they talk about freedom? Well, luckily, Governor Goodhair down in Texas, Rick Perry, explained it for us. As we go forward, America needs to be about freedom. It needs to be about freedom from overtaxation, freedom from over litigation, freedom from over uh, uh, regulation. There you go. That's the key. 
When Republicans are talking about freedom, they're not talking about freedom like you and I think of it. They're talking about the freedom of billionaires and corporations. Freedom from taxation, like the freedom from Mitt Romney to treat his capital gains income as special and pay a lower tax rate than the rest of us. Or the freedom for a corporation like General Electric to pay no taxes. ExxonMobil. They're talking about freedom from regulation, like the freedom for Coke Industries to pollute entire towns or let oil pipes explode now that government regulators have been taken out of the picture. They're talking about freedom from litigation, like the freedom for doctors and hospitals to not get sued when they amputate the wrong leg. They're talking about the freedom for banksters not to get sued after they gamble away your savings or blow up your home's value. The so-called big idea about freedom pushed by Republicans for more than three decades and now being pushed by Mitt Romney is very specific, despite how vague it sounds. It means freedom for the wealthy elite to continue getting richer while the rest of us get screwed. That's why over the last three decades, ever since these freedom fighters for the rich took power, wealth inequality has exploded and the middle class has come under siege. Wall Street was given freedom to crash our economy and then get a bailout. Big Oil was given freedom to destroy the Gulf of Mexico and yet continue to receive billions in subsidies, courtesy of you and me, the taxpayers. And what new freedoms have average Americans received? We're free to pay more money for basic essentials like food, energy, and education. We're free to choke on oil pollution. We're free to go fight in a war that George Bush wants to have to get political capital. If Republicans really believed in freedom, then they would subscribe to the idea of freedom put forward by Franklin Delano Roosevelt when he said, necessitous men, men are not free men. Necessitous, meaning you don't have the necessities of life. Freedom requires basic essentials to be met. Freedom requires food, a job, a roof over your head, a good education, health care. That was the whole basis of FDR's New Deal, to give freedom to working-class Americans. Republicans, on the other hand, want to give freedom to the super-rich, to, to guys like Mitt Romney. Which is why Mitt Romney ridiculed half the nation that feels entitled to food. It's clear, if Mitt Romney doesn't think access to food should be a basic freedom, then he doesn't know what the hell freedom means for working people. So while Mitt Romney was busy selling this big idea of freedom for billionaires, President Obama revealed what his big idea was. What would you like to see happen Well, you know, in, your, in your four years? i I, I got to tell you, Steve, uh, I think there's no bigger purpose right now than making sure that if people work hard in this country, they can get ahead. That's the Central American idea. That's how we sent a man to the moon, because there was an economy that worked. For yeah, there was an economy that worked for everybody. This actually is a big idea. It's a big idea because it's what Roosevelt succeeded in doing 80 years ago with the New Deal, which is create a new contract between working people and the government that we have created. That contract was simple. If you work hard, if you do what you're supposed to do, if you keep your nose clean, then you too can achieve the American dream of a comfortable life. That contract has been shredded terribly during the last three decades. The American dream is harder and harder to achieve for working people, while the very wealthy have, you know, plenty of money to achieve the American dream, dozens, hundreds, thousands of times over. President Obama's big idea is to restore this contract. That means making the rich like Mitt Romney pay their fair share again. It means strengthening the social safety net. It means protecting domestic manufacturing with trade production, uh, protection. And it means recognizing democracy in the workplace with organized labor. 
Republicans like Mitt Romney think all of those things restrict freedom, but in reality, they only restrict freedom for the billionaire class and the corporations who want the freedom to exploit the rest of us for their profits. So the big question for this election is, do we have freedom for all, real freedom? Freedom to have basic essential needs met so that the American dream is easier to achieve for all working people? Or do we just have freedom for the rich as defined by Reagan and now by Romney? Freedom for oil barons to pollute, banksters to steal, for Paris Hilton and Mitt Romney to avoid paying their fair share in taxes. That's the question. Freedom should not be reserved just for the 1%. Pretty straightforward. A hungry man or woman or child is not a free person. A homeless person is not a free person. A sick person is uh, who does not have the ability to get themselves well or the ability to pay to get themselves well is not a free person. You want freedom? Provide a social safety. Run, freedom, run. Freedom, run away. My friends, you have to run, 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 run. Freedom, run away. That freedom, son, will shine today. Till then you better run, 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 run. Freedom, run away. Well, you should be. Freedom is scary. It's a blast of cool wind that burns your face to wake you up. Literally? Yes. There's a trickle of sweat. There's a trickle of in your ear. Still, you gotta run, 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 run. Freedom, run away. Now, don't you fret. And never fear. Freedom's a one, 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 one. Freedom, run away. President Obama's talking to Univision, and he's going to talk about uh, how you can get change. Now, listen carefully, because something he says here is going to be picked apart by the Republicans. Watch. And the most important lesson I've learned is that uh, you can't change Washington from the inside. You can only change it from the outside. That's how I got elected, and that's how the big accomplishments like health care got done, was because we mobilized the American people to speak out. That's how we were able to cut taxes for middle class families. So uh, something that I'd really like to concentrate on in my second term is being in a much more constant conversation with the American people so that they can put pressure on Congress uh, to help move uh, some of these issues forward. All right, so of course Republicans see that and go, outrageous! Now a lot of you might have thought, wait, where was that outrageous part? But funny enough, I actually think the Republicans are half right. So first, let's show you their overreaction. Here's Mitt Romney. The president today threw in the white flag of surrender again. He said he can't change Washington from inside. He can only change it from outside. Well, we're going to give him that chance in November. He's going outside. <laughs> I can change Washington. I will change Washington. President of the United States says he can't change Washington from the inside. He said he can't change Washington from inside. He says he can't change it from the inside. Yeah, dude, I got it. I got it. Okay. What about from the inside? Okay, I'm no, not sure he covered the that. No, no, the president said, no, he did. He said the president said he can't change Washington. Oh, he can't. Oh, I, I missed that from the Romney okay. speech. Well, in case it wasn't clear enough, they've already got an ad out in under 24 hours. Watch. In 2008, didn't candidate Barack Obama run on the idea that he could fix Washington and change the status quo? My whole campaign has been premised from the start on the idea that we have to fundamentally change how Washington works. I'm running to finally solve problems we talk about year after year after year to end the division. The ways of Washington must change. 
and they must change now. And that's why I'm running for president of the United States. If by his own admission he hasn't accomplished that, why should we give him another chance? I've learned some lessons over the last four years. Uh, and the most important lesson I've learned is that you can't change Washington from the inside. You can't change Washington from the inside. He said he can't change Washington from the inside. He can only change it from outside. Well, we're going to give him that chance in November. This is time for a new president. I'll get the job done. We'll change Washington. We'll restore the economic strength we need to put people back to work. So now the parts I disagree with the Republicans are uh, on, look, you're going to change it to what? Like to for more influence of money in politics, you're going to change it to more tax cuts for the rich, more wars. People aren't interested in that change, so they're full of crap. Number two, blaming President Obama for the partisanship over the last four years is insanity. And Republicans purposely put up roadblock after roadblock, and then they said, "How dare you not cross the roadblocks?" Well, it would have helped if you didn't put up the goddamn roadblocks on the road, right? So, and and they had no interest in working with him. So that's my criticism of the GOP. On the other hand. President Obama does have a defeatist attitude, and he thinks I cannot change Washington from the inside, even though he's the president, president of the United States of America. He thinks, oh well, you know, what could I do? I got you five percent change because that's all I could do. And well, if you think you can't do it from the inside, well, then have some other Democrat run because on that, I think they're pretty right. I think they're uh, totally wrong. I think that is, uh, President Obama has been totally consistent on this issue. I don't think he is a defeatist president at all. I think that he was a defeated president a lot of the time and not defeatist. Uh, you know, in 2008, at his convention uh, in Denver, in his speech, he said, you cannot change Washington from the inside. We are here to change Washington from the outside. When he said we, he wasn't saying me. I am here to change it from the inside. He said, I can't do it from the inside. I need everybody. He's react the whole idea is he was trying to build a people movement. Now, to, to your criticism and your anticipated criticism of the president, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, he, he did come in here and he made a mistake. But what he did is he proved that you can't change it from the inside, too. He proved his maxim. And he, he went in and he thought that he could get both compromise, that he could meet in the middle, and, and he had partners that would not meet him in the middle. He proved that you cannot change the way that these people operate and work. So the only way to get anything done is from the outside and from grassroots and from bigger than grassroots. But, Michael, so, two other problems with that. Look, number one, he hasn't learned that lesson at all. Well, because he says at the same exact time, hey, when I, if I win, don't worry, then the Republicans won't bother running against me, and then we'll start to make deals. Then apparently you've learned nothing. Well, that, that I don't think that speaks to learning nothing. He said, he even said it to Univision here. One thing that he'd like to change is he would like to take the pulse of the country, and I'm paraphrasing here, take the pulse of the country more than he has, extend the conversation more than he has. I don't believe he's him at president. all. Well, you don't have to believe that's, him. That's, that's point what he's number saying. two. But, but everything he's done about to that has either proven what he's what he's uh, complaining about or been consistent because he was complaining about it before he complained about it to Univision he, no, four he, years ago he did. I'll just let real quickly um, to say that he, he he at times is a defeatist and when he's a defeatist is when he's negotiating because he starts yes. from a position well, of nego defeat. But negotiation is a defeat in some, I mean you could look at no, 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 but there's, no, a, there's, a, a, there's a variety. If we're uh, doing zero to a hundred, right? In a and negotiation you say, you're giving something away. If you come of in, course, you, you know, but, I mean, no, no, no. 
but that's what I'm saying. It's a spectrum, Michael. Of course, everybody agrees to that. If you know, if you're trying to get to a hundred, you know that if you compromise, maybe you get to fifty. Everybody knows that's the real world. If you're married, you know that's the real world. If you have any kind of friendship, you live together, whatever it is, you know that that's the real world. The problem is, President Obama starts the negotiation at twelve and winds up at two. And you're like, oh my, why did you do that? So okay, so, I get it if you don't want to start right. at a hundred, but start at eighty or something. So what we're left with then is we're left with no true progressive alternative ever especially when we our only progressive president to vote for in the last 10 years is a guy who's vowing to cut social security i mean that's his plan i'm gonna do it i can't wait to get a republican to agree with me to cut the most successful social program in the history of the world even though there's nothing wrong with it and we could fix it easily i'm gonna cut it because i want to make it look like i'm a conciliatory to my enemies and, and let me pile on one more thing here, yeah. Michael, as, as we go here. You know, he says, well, you got to do it from the outside. But whenever you try to do it from the outside, they call you fucking retarded. Literally. Rahm Emanuel Rahm went Emanuel. to the uh, group called the Common Purpose, which was a collection of different progressive groups from the outside who were putting pressure on blue dog Democrats because blue dog Democrats keep voting with Republicans mm -hmm. over and over again. And Rahm came in the room and said, what are you, fucking retarded? I wanted to respond to your response of the caller who said he was tired of people saying that Obama wasn't progressive enough. I think you're right, but I don't think you addressed what he was talking about, which is a feeling that I share. This feeling that progressives are, in this election specifically, overdoing the criticism of how much Obama did or failed to do. And what annoys us, if I might put words into the caller's mouth, is that oftentimes liberal commentators don't take into consideration the fact that this guy is working within the restrictions of being our first black president, or following, or following a president who gave him a very limited economic foundation to be able to change anything. I can think of a lot to criticize about his foreign policy, his relationship with Wall Street, his inaction in various situations where he could have made a difference for progressive causes. But to say that he's not achieved much ignores what he has achieved from a very disadvantaged beginning, and that's a mantra we hear. And I think that's the issue, more that it's a mantra rather than that we always continue to criticize. Progressives should always be criticizing, but I don't think they need to ignore the gains they've made. The commentary shouldn't sound like he let us down. It should be, let's get him four more years because we have work, more work to do. We'll always have more work to do. We are capable, I think, of clapping him on the back with one hand and giving him a to-do list with the other. That would align with what you rightfully point out about never being satisfied, but also, as the caller points out, avoid depressing his base and downplaying his achievements, which I think doesn't help us at all. Anyway, thanks, Jay. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. Keep up the good work. Hey, Jay. Chuck in Salt Lake City. Calling in to respond to your unnamed caller from the uh, unnamed location who chose to uh, describe Barack Obama as the most progressive president in U.S. history. Probably ought to crack those history books, my friend. You know, 
I can understand your frustration with the left. I often have frustration with the left. Uh, our inability to put together a, a solid social movement in short order is uh, is one of my frustrations. But you know, at the same time, we've we've seen how quickly uh, a haphazardly thrown together social movement like the Tea Party can be taken over by by one of the major parties. So you know, maybe the slow, deliberate construction of the Occupy movement is going to serve us better, and I'm real excited to, to, to be a part of that and, and contribute where I can, and, and I'm real excited to see when organized labor uh, joins with, you know, with Occupy and, and creates what may be a real forceful social movement. So, hey, my friend, you can, you know, you can definitely complain that, that the left isn't pushing the president enough, but this is not a conservative president or, or progressive president. Uh, you know, just look at uh, his expansion of, of Blackwater and other mercenary groups. Look at him refusing to shut down Guantanamo. He, you know, he could do that. He could, he could, uh, a, real, a true progressive would do that. It's not something he needs Congress's permission to do. Look at the, the drone, you know, killing U.S. citizens with drones abroad, expanding warfare beyond any mandate that was ever given by Congress with his drone wars and, Pakistan and Yemen. This is not the actions of a progressive president. And for him to criticize the left and say, hey, you know, we don't have the right to complain about Barack Obama. Excuse me, but I do. And, and, and I will. And I have the luxury of being in Utah where I can vote for who I want to. And it's really not going to change much. So I certainly won't be voting for Barack Obama. You know, if I was in a swing state, I'd probably grip my teeth and and uh, and vote for him. But anybody out there who's in a state like mine that's solid red and isn't going to change, you know, make a protest vote. Vote, vote your conscience, and at least then, you know, when you're surrounded by these batshit crazy conservatives and they're pointing to you saying, "Ah, oh, how do you like your president?" You can say, "You know, he was he's not my president. I didn't vote for him, and it's because he's not liberal enough." Uh, you know, I, I love to, I, gosh, on a weekly basis, I tell people that here in this bastion of conservatism and it makes me feel good and it, it inspires good conversation and, uh, and good debates among these people too, because I don't have to defend this president who's, you know, on many, in many cases, indefensible. So I'm sure I'm not going to be one of the own, I'm not going to be the only call that, uh, they called in to criticize our unnamed friend, but just couldn't couldn't keep myself from it. Thanks for all your hard work, Jay. Hey, Jay, I just listened to the newest podcast in which you responded to my voicemail. I wanted to leave you a quick note to say I don't disagree with anything that you said. I think that as progressives, we should push hard for changes. I just think. I guess that the way the narrative shapes up about the differences between these two parties, we do ourselves a disservice by expecting more from our candidates than what we actually get. And we don't regularly recognize that change is incremental and that consistency about pushing forward is the way to do that rather than becoming fatalistic about the fact that uh, candidates aren't progressive enough once we put them in office. So I just wanted to 
leave a quick note. I agree with everything you said. I just think that uh, I wish the narrative weren't quite so despairing about it. Thanks. Hi, Jay. This is Roy out of Texas, and I'm calling about the question that you posed at the end of your recent show about teachers regarding if you know that somebody is, uh, shall we say, emotionally or mentally unstable, and oh, uh, you cited the specific example of certain uh, members of the Muslim faith having a uh, massive flip-out any time there's any uh, cartoons or drawings depicting the Prophet Muhammad, and you ask, do you have a moral duty to not provoke them, or do you not have a moral duty to not provoke them? And I just wanted to respond that, frankly, I think you have a moral duty to completely disregard anyone like that. Because, quite frankly, I don't care if it's religious people saying that they're going to enact violence because you've drawn a picture of their prophet, or if it's a bunch of religious whack jobs proclaiming that they're going to kill you because you perform a legal procedure like abortion. I don't care if it's a bunch of punks on a street corner saying that they're going to shoot you if you dare to walk on their precious turf. You have a duty to disregard that nonsense because otherwise you do nothing but live in fear. And the minute people like that regardless of their reasons, regardless of their affiliation, regardless of their purpose, know that they can rule through fear, they will continue to do it, and they will demand more and more. Or as my father used to say, give the fuckers an inch, they'll take the whole world. Keep up the great work. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, everyone, and thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you would like to leave a comment, question, or an activist call to action yourself to be played on the show, the number to dial is 206-202-3410. So just a, a few rapid-fire comments. First, uh, to the first caller and her comments that Obama should be given a little bit of a break on the things that he hasn't accomplished in favor of at least giving some praise for the things that he has accomplished. That I don't really necessarily disagree with almost at all. Um my problem with Obama has much more to do with his uh, governing tactics. Uh, the, one of my one of my favorites, honestly, is uh, his reticence to speak more in favor of his own policies during his first term. And he himself has actually come out and said that that it, one of his biggest regrets of his first term was that he didn't get up and give more speeches supporting his own policies. And at the time. Obama supporters who were making excuses for him said that presidents can't really, you know, change public opinion or, or, you know, push for policies effectively that way, which I think is ridiculous on its face. And all you have to do is go back to the George W. Bush administration to see how effective he could be in riling up his base and, and creating political pressure uh, to bear on the policies that he favored. So, you know, it, it's those sorts of things. It, it's that. Many of his tactics I didn't like, and I think he could have done better on. And uh, and, and then also is a lot of the things that he has done that I actively think are wrong. That uh, that the second caller actually brought up a lot of those points. And so yeah, yeah, I mean you can congratulate him on the things he did while handing him a to do list with the other hand. But that to do list, you know, a few of those things are for the love of God, stop doing what you've already done. Which is uh, you know not 
in the same vein of like good job now let's keep going so i think that's a, a good uh clarification to to make there and then uh, my comment on the last caller saying that anyone who uses violence to control other people should be flatly ignored in principle i totally love it i mean th this conversation has been more nuanced and there are arguments to be made that you know sometimes your freedoms aren't really being infringed on too much if you uh you know, feel the need to draw an image of Muhammad or something like that. But as as a general principle, I, I I love it. And you know, the fact is, I actually can ignore th their demand uh, to not draw the Prophet Muhammad because I never had a desire to do one in the first place. So that you know that works out nicely. But um, yeah, I I really enjoyed that comment. That kind of summed up uh, for the most part where I think I uh, land on that topic. So that's going to be it for today. Thanks to everyone for listening, and especially thanks to those who support the show, either by making a membership or, or one-time donations. Of course, everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it and by spreading the word of individual clips that you particularly like through your social networks. All that can be done through the website as well. Stay tuned into the show between episodes by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter. And for details on the show itself, including links to all the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information is always posted in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway, yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast, coming to you every third day, thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. Upon a picture that wasn't right Pitch burning on a shiny sheet The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room Whose shadow bases the floor